day, and thank you for tuning in to the Jeff Casella program. I wish to thank each and every one of you that listen to this program. Please take a few moments and think about the upcoming holiday, Christmas, not Xmas, Christmas. Merry Christmas to each of you listening to this program. What a very special day for each of us as Christians, and I know that we all look forward to this Christian holiday of the birth of our Savior, being with our families, enjoying wonderful food, and bringing in the new year with the thanksgiving and knowing that Christ is our Savior. So with that said, I want to start off this program with uh, a little bit of school life. It's called Back in the Late 50s and School Life Today. Give you some scenarios and I hope you enjoy this. Let's take the first scenario. Jack goes quail hunting before school and then pulls into the school parking lot with a shotgun in his truck's gun rack. Back in the late 50s, the vice principal comes over, looks at Jack's shotgun, goes to his car, and gets his shotgun to show Jack. Fast forward to, to today, school goes into lockdown. FBI called. Jack called off to jail and never sees his truck or gun again. Counselors are called in for traumatized students and teachers. The second scenario, Johnny and Mark get into a fist fight after school. Well, back in the late 50s, the crowd would gather. Mark wins. Johnny and Mark shake hands, and they end up buddies. Well, in today, the police are called. The SWAT team arrives. They arrest both Johnny and Mark. They're both charged with assault and both expelled, even though Johnny started it. How about the third scenario? Jeffrey will not be still in class. He disrupts other students. Well, back then in late 50s, Jeffrey was sent to the principal's office, given a good talking to by the principal. And the principal then threatens to talk to his parents. Jeffrey returns to class, sits still and doesn't disrupt the class again. Fast forward to today. Jeffrey's given huge doses of Ritalin, becomes a zombie, then tested for ADD. The school gets extra money from the state because Jeffrey has a disability. Here's another scenario. Billy breaks a window in his neighbor's car and his dad gives him a whipping with his belt. <gasps> Billy must do chores to earn the money to pay for the window. Well, back in the late 50s, Billy's more careful next time, grows up normal, goes to college, and becomes a responsible, successful businessman. As of today, Billy's dad's arrested for child abuse. Billy's removed to foster care and joins a gang. The state psychologist is told by Billy's sister that she remembers being abused herself and their dad goes to prison. Billy's mom has an affair with a psychologist. How about this scenario? Mark gets a headache and takes some aspirin to school. Well, back in the late 50s, Mark shares his aspirin with the principal out on the smoking dock. As of today, the police are called and Mark's expelled from school for drug violations. His cars then search for drugs and weapons. This next scenario has to do with English. Poor Pedro fails high school English. Well, back in the 50s, Pedro then would have to go to summer school. He passes English and heads on to college. As for today, Pedro's cause is taken up by the state. Newspaper articles appear nationally explaining that teaching English as a requirement for graduation is racist. 
ACLU files class action suit against the state school system and Pedro's English teacher. English is then banned from core curriculum. Pedro's given his diploma anyway, but ends up mowing lawns for a living. Why? Because Pedro can't speak English. Johnny takes apart leftover firecrackers from the 4th of July, puts them in a model airplane paint bottle, and blows them up on a red ant bed. Well, back then, in the late 50s, the ants die. Problem solved. Well, as for today, ATF, Homeland Security, and the FBI are called. Johnny's charged with domestic terrorism. The FBI investigates his parents. The siblings are all removed from their home, and the computers are confiscated. Johnny's dad's placed on a terror watch list, and he's never allowed to fly again. And this one. Johnny falls while running during recess and scrapes his knee. He's found crying by his teacher, Mary. Mary hugs him to comfort him. Back in the 50s, in a short time, Johnny feels better and goes back on playing. As of today, Mary's accused of being a sexual predator and loses her job. She faces three years in state prison. As for Johnny, he undergoes five years of therapy. Gee, I hope you enjoyed those. All life back then and today. This is a little joke called painting the porch. Blonde teenager wanting to earn some extra money for the summer desire, decided to hire herself out as a handy woman and started canvassing a nearby well-to-do neighborhood. She went to the front door of the first house and asked the owner if he had any odd jobs for her to do. Well, I guess I could use somebody to paint my porch around back. How much will you charge me? Delighted, the girl quickly responded, how about $50? Man agreed and told her that the paintbrushes and everything she would need was in the garage. The man's wife, hearing the conversation, said to her husband, does she realize how large that porch around back is? He responded, that's a bit cynical, isn't it? Well, the wife replied, you're right. I guess I'm starting to believe all those dumb blonde jokes we've been getting by email lately. Later that day, the blonde came to the front door to collect her money. You finished already? Yes. And I even had paint left over, so I gave it two coats. Impressed, the man reached into his pocket for the $50 and handed it to her along with a $10 tip. Oh, and by the way, the blonde said, it's not a porch. It's a Lexus. <laughs> ah, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And finally, we're going to end up with a little story. I think I may have used this in the past. But I think this is very well, especially in today's time. It has to do with it is no secret. Now, I think some of you that listen to this program or have been reading from my understandinggodslaws.com have seen this. But uh, I hope you enjoy this. Back in the 50s, there was a well-known radio host. He was a comedian, songwriter in Hollywood named Stuart Hamblin. Well, he was also noted for his drinking, womanizing, partying, etc. One of his bigger hits at the time was, I won't go hunting with you, Jake, but I'll go chasing women. One day along came a young preacher holding a tent revival. Hamlin had him on his radio show, presumably to poke fun at him. In order to gather more material for his show, Hamlin showed up at one of the revival meetings. 
early in the service, the preacher announced, there's one man in the audience who's a big fake. There were probably others who thought the same thing, but Hamblin was convinced that he was the one the preacher was talking about. Well, someone might call that conviction, but he wasn't having none of that. Still, the words continued to haunt him until a couple of nights later, he showed up drunk at the preacher's hotel door around 2 a.m., demanding that the preacher pray for him. Preacher's response, no, this is between you and God. And I'm not going to get in the middle of it. But the preacher did invite Stewart in and they talked until about 5 a.m. At which point Stewart dropped to his knees and with tears cried out to God. Now, normally you'd think that's the end of the story. But it's not because Stewart quit drinking, chasing women. Well, he says that he quit about everything that was fun. He began to lose favor with a Hollywood crowd. He was ultimately fired by the radio station when he refused to accept a beer company as a sponsor. Hard times were upon him. He tried writing a couple of Christian songs, but the only one that had much success was this old house written by, written, written by him for his friend, Rosemary Clooney. Stewart continued to struggle. Longtime friend named John took him aside and told him, all your troubles started when you got religion. Was it worth it all? Yes, it was. Then his friend asked, you like your booze so much. Don't you ever miss it? No. I don't understand how you could give it up so easily. Stewart's response, it's no big secret. All things are possible with God. John said, well, that's a catchy phrase. You should write a song about it. And the rest is history. Or you see, Stuart Hamlin wrote, it is no secret. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. Oh, and you're asking about the friends? Well, the friend in Hollywood that Stuart was talking to was John Wayne. And that young preacher who refused to pray for Stuart? None other than the late Billy Graham. I hope you enjoyed those. You might even want to look up on YouTube, It Is No Secret by Stuart Hamlin. Before we get into the lesson, which has to do with the birth of Christ and some very, inter very interesting um, ways to look at it from both Matthew and Luke's view, because there are things that Matthew added, there's things that, that Luke added. And I want to use a comparison. But, you know, as we close 2023 and as we begin 2024, we're so encouraged to pray for our politicians. This, is, this can be a very, very deciding year for all of us, for all Christians. And the reason why I say that is, is because when you go to vote, I want you to think about one thing, common sense. I've read it in the past, but I, I want to do it again. Because there's been an obituary on common sense, which is my parents told me about Mr. Common Sense early in my life and told me I would do well to call on him when making decisions. It seems he was always around in my early years. 
but less and less as time passed by until today when I read about his obituary. Today we mourn the passing of a beloved old friend, Common Sense, who had been with us for many years. No one knows for sure how old he was, since his birth records were long ago lost in bureaucratic red tape. He'll be rem remembered as having cultivated such valuable lessons as knowing when to come in and out of the rain, why the early bird gets the worm, life isn't always fair, and maybe it was my fault. Common sense lived by simple, sound financial policies, such as don't spend more than you can earn, reliable parenting strategies, adults, not children, are in charge. His health began to deteriorate rapidly when well-intentioned but overbearing regulations were set in place. Reports of a six-year-old boy charged with sexual harassment for kissing a classmate. Teens suspended from school for, from, for using mouthwash after lunch. And a teacher fired for reprimanding an unruly student only worsened his condition. Common sense lost ground when parents attacked teachers for doing the job they themselves failed to do in disciplining their unruly children. It declined even further when schools were required to get parental consent to administer aspirin, sun lotion, or a sticky plaster to a student. But they couldn't inform the parent when a student became pregnant and wanted to have an abortion. Common sense finally gave up the will to live after a woman failed to realize that a steaming cup of coffee was hot. She spilled a little in her lap and was promptly awarded a large settlement. Common sense was preceded in death by his parents' truth and trust, his wife, discretion, his daughter, responsibility, and his son, reason. But he is survived by three stepbrothers. I know my rights. Someone else is to blame, and I'm the victim. Not many attended his funeral because so few realized he was gone. Author unknown. Sad but true, a six-year-old boy charged with sexual harassment for kissing a classmate. I'm sure many of you remember when we were kids and we had Valentine's Day that we'd pass out candy to our girlfriend or boyfriend, to uh, cards, blue kisses. I'm sure that uh, you remember when teachers had the right, if you want to call it, but were able to discipline the unruly child, that the principal would actually spank the child, but not nearly as bad as to get the call to the parents who then discipline the child. Many wonderful Christian men and women adhered to what God had to say. And they didn't spoil the rod to spare the child. Or I should say they didn't spoil the child to spare the rod. They used the rod to spank the child, but they did it out of love not out of beating the child. There's been many a child that has grown up to be good. And now we're at the point where parents aren't even known as to their children trying to get an abortion. 
and a lady who spills coffee where it says right on the cup that it's hot and she knows that the coffee's hot and yet she spills it and gets a mass amount of money. What does this have to do with things? Well, where's the truth of the trust? Where's the discretion? Where's the responsibility and the reason? I've done some lessons in the past. Whereas people are known by their name. And it is time for men and women to stand. We must stand together. We must bring back truth, trust, discretion, responsibility, and reason. We need to have that in our leaders. And it's my prayer that our leaders in the future take these measures and be responsible because we are the ones that voted them in and we put them into office and they should be held accountable by the people. I do hope that you have enjoyed a little bit of humor, a little bit of way back when and today, a little bit of common sense. And I do hope that you'll stick around so you can hear a little bit of the good news of the birth of Christ. Have a wonderful day and stick around. It is so interesting when we look at the birth of Jesus, we look at the first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I call your attention because Matthew, basically there's one chapter as to the birth of Jesus. And there is a bit of detail, but not like the detail found in the book of Luke. If you will, please turn with me to uh, the book of Luke, the first and second chapter. Jesus' actual birth is not introduced until the second chapter of Luke. And this is where Luke begins with saying that there was a census issued in the entire Roman world. It's interesting because that was the first census taken. And everyone went to their own city to register, and that included Joseph. Now, Joseph and Mary, and, and I call, that's a pregnant Mary. They went to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to a town called Bethlehem, or to Bethlehem, excuse me, the town of David. Isn't that interesting, David? Why was that so? Because Jesus belonged to the house and line of David, and so did Joseph. If you look at the lineage, both back in Matthew and back there, you will see the actual genealogy of our Lord and Savior. And you'll see where Joseph and where David fit in. It is so interesting, the puzzle of the Bible. 
and how one witness provides a double witness. Joseph went on to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Well, the time came for the child to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn. She wrapped him in, clo in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. So she actually put him in a manger. Now it's so interesting because shepherds keeping watch over their flocks at night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Do not be, be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, yes, a savior has been born to you. He's Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. We as people need some type of physical signs in order to believe. Back then, we're no different than back then. And the shepherds had probably been reading their Bible, had been reading the Old Testament, and were looking for a sign. And there was a sign, the sign of the star. Now, not only do you have the angel, but you have a great company of the heavenly host appeared saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. So here the, the shepherds had a great company of the heavenly host along with the angel and the singing praises were going about. Now I'm sure that if you were a shepherd back then tending your feet, uh, tending your animals, you would be absolutely in shock. Out of curiosity, what did the shepherds do? They headed to Bethlehem and to see this thing that had happened, which the Lord had told us about. So they had been reading about the Old Testament They'd also been reading and hearing from the angel. And they wanted to go see themselves. They actually wanted to see if the Messiah had been born. And the shepherds found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And what happened? They spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. Now, one has to wonder that not only did they hear this, but I'm sure that other people came and saw the baby and the parents. Now, Mary having the baby had to have such a glow about her. How do I know this? Because she treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now think about it. Here's Mary, the chosen one to have the baby Jesus. She had the immaculate conception. As for the shepherds, they actually saw, they saw Jesus, the baby. And they glorified and praised God for all the things they had heard and seen. Which was just as they were told, just as they were told. Of course, Mary and Joseph on the eighth day, took Jesus to be circumcised.
And then at the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, and again, they're, they are right down following every bit of the Bible, the purification, according to the law of Moses. And again, circumcision, every boy was circumcised and named on the eighth day after birth. That shows in Leviticus 12.3, Luke 1.59 and 60. Secondly, we have redemption of the firstborn. A firstborn son was presented to God one month after birth. Exodus 13, 2, 11, and 16. We have the redeeming of the child from God through an offering. Thus, the parents acknowledge that the child belonged to God, who alone has the power to give life. Purification of, of the mother was for 40 days after the birth of a son and 80 days after the birth of a daughter. The mother was ceremonially unclean and could not enter the temple. At the end of her time of separation, the parents were to bring a lamb for a burnt offering and a dove or pigeon for a sin offering. Of course, the priest would sacrifice these animals and declare her to be clean. So they followed the letter of the word in the Old Testament perfectly. And that is written in the law of the Lord, as it says in verse 23. Now, it's interesting that there was an older man by the name of uh, Simeon, and he was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord Jesus Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to you people, Israel. Now this Simeon, being an old man, he told them what their child would become. Simeon's song is often called the Nunc Dimittis because these are the first words of its Latin translation. Simeon could die in peace because he had seen the Messiah. So very, very interesting that both Simeon and now Anna in verse 36 comes about. Anna was a prophetess. She's the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Simeon and Anna both had many things in common, one of them being old. They had never lost their hope that they would see the Messiah, that they were led by the Holy Spirit, and they were among the first to bear witness to Jesus in the Jewish culture. 
elders were respected. So because of Simeon and Anna's age, their prophecies carried extra weight. Anna, indicating that she was a prophetess, was unusually close to God. Prophets did not necessarily predict the future. Their main role was to speak for God, proclaiming his truth. So now you about you know a little bit about Simeon and Anna and the birth of Christ. Now going back to Matthew, King Herod plays a, a large role in trying to kill the baby Jesus. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but when you look back in Luke, I don't see anything mentioned concerning the Magi. So we'll go back to Matthew. Herod called the Magi and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make yourself a careful search for the child. Then as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. Now nah, they weren't going to do that. They were going to kill him. That's exactly what Herod was going to do. He did not want a rival king. He had heard about this king. Magi, as it says, I don't know how many it talks about. Could be three, could be more. It's so interesting that this Magi traveled thousands of miles to see the king. When they found him, they responded with joy, with worship and gifts. This is so different from the approach people offer, often take today. We expect God to come looking for us to explain himself, prove himself, and give us gifts. But those who are wise and still seek and worship Jesus today, not for what they can get, but for who he is. So well said. Uh, another word for the Magi are the wise men. We don't know where they came from or how many there were. We know that they were men of high position. We just have no idea, but we know that they probably had a special message from God directing them to the Messiah. They could have been from a different land, representing the entire world bowing before Jesus. These men from faraway lands recognized Jesus as the Messiah when most of God's chosen people in Israel didn't. So you see, Matthew shows that Jesus is king over the whole world, not just Judea. And so well said. And this is, this is also spoken in Micah 5.2, where uh, verse 5 says, In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Micah 5.2. You see, Old Testament is completely in line with the New Testament. The fulfillment is there, not the destroying, but the fulfillment from the old to the new. The Magi, after hearing about the king, 
and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. Isn't that amazing? The star was directly over where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They finally had reached a destination. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, because he's the king of the whole world, and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. Wow. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So you see, at that time that the Magi appeared, it is believed that Jesus was probably one or two years old. Mary and Joseph were married, living in a house. And they intended to stay in Bethlehem for a while. That clears up some things. It, it wasn't that, that uh, Jesus was born in a, in a manger and eight days later the Magi appeared. Uh-uh. Now the Magi gave very expensive gifts because they were worthy presents to the future king. Uh, various Bible students say that gold was a gift for a king, incense, a gift for deity, myrrh, a spice for a person who was going to die. And these gifts may have provided the financial resources for the trip to Egypt and back. We don't know. He was a king worthy of all these things. He was the king of all. And Joseph was a carpenter and a very good carpenter. So Joseph may have also been very, very wealthy, but in either case, that these gifts could have provided financial resources for the trip to Egypt and back. And we know that because Herod, uh, an angel of the Lord first appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So, Two things here. The Magi brought gifts and worshiped Jesus for who he was. That's true worship. And after finding Jesus and worshiping him, the Magi were warned by God not to return to Jerusalem. They believed in what God said, and they went back to their lands. The second dream was that Joseph received from God. Joseph's first dream revealed that Mary's child would be the Messiah. And now a second dream was that he was Jesus's legal father and he was responsible. Joseph was responsible for his safety and the safety of his wife in their well-being. Joseph remained receptive to God's guidance. He was a godly father. God's perfect in all that he does. Isn't this amazing? Now, to finish, they went to Egypt. They heard what God said. And they went back to Egypt until... the angel of the Lord told them to come back to Israel. The sadness of all this also is, it's about Herod. Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi. And the Magi were following God's laws and God's voice. He was furious 
and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Now, this is very interesting because, again, a part of the Old Testament is fulfilled. Turn to Jeremiah 30, 115, where it says, A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Rachel was the wife of Jacob, one of the great men of, the, of God in the Old Testament. Rachel was buried near Bethlehem. And I think you read about Jeremiah 31, 15 and Rachel and the prophet. In fact, let's turn to Jeremiah 31, 15 and clarify a little bit of the of this verse. Jeremiah 31, 15. Pardon me, I'm a little bit slow. Jeremiah. Jeremiah says in 3115, Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife, was a symbolic mother of the northern tribes who were taken away by the Assyrians. Rachel is pictured crying for the exiles at Rama, a staging point of deportation. This verse is quoted in Matthew 218 to describe the sadness of the mothers of Bethlehem as the male children were killed, the weeping was great in both cases. Very great. As we finish this, Herod died. Joseph, in a dream from the Lord in Egypt, got up, took the child and the mother, and went back to the land of Israel. So verse uh, 21 through 23 are very, very interesting. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So he, what so was fulfilled, what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Wow. So the Old Testament doesn't record the specific statement, he will be called a Nazarene. Many scholars believe, however, that Matthew is referring to Isaiah 1.1, where the Hebrew word for branch is similar to the word for Nazarene. Or he may be referencing a prophecy unrecorded in the Bible. In any case, Matthew paints the picture of Jesus as the true Messiah announced by God through the prophets. And he makes the point that Jesus, the Messiah, had unexpectedly humble beginnings, just the Old Testament had predicted in Micah 5.2. My, how interesting it is to see how the Bible and each one, whether it be the Old Testament or the New Testament, comes to life is 100% true and we can follow all through the Bible, the great recordings. I do hope that you have enjoyed this on the birth of Jesus Christ. And I hope that you may share this with others on some interesting facts that have been brought to light. And I give thanks, and I hope you do, for our families and 
most of all for the birth of Christ and his humble beginnings. We have a loving savior, the Christ overall. So may we give thanks for not just December 25th being Christmas, but that every day is Christmas day and to give thanks for Christ our savior for all that he has done, he continues to do and will do for each and every one of us. To God be the glory. And our thanks to each of you listening.